Well, praise God. I'd like to invite everyone to turn in their Bible to Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs 24. And we're about to launch out into our seventh teaching, praise God, in this series that we're calling Building the Family. Building the Family. Getting great testimonies, great feedback. It's exciting to see. You know, God promised He would confirm His Word. He would confirm His Word with signs following. You know, when I preach on divine healing, you know what I expect? I expect God to heal people based on that scripture. When I, when I preach on prosperity, I, I, I expect people to have breakthroughs in their financial lives and prospering. Amen. We've been preaching on divine love. And I've been expecting. Amen. God to confirm his word, working and cultivating that fruit of the spirit of love in our life. And we've been, we've been seeing it. So excited about that. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we come before you today. And God, I ask you for utterance to be given unto me in the Holy Spirit. That God, that I wouldn't speak out of my mind. Mental words don't land on the heart like spirit words do. And so Holy Spirit, just take hold together with my words, my mind, my ability and speak forth out of me what you would want us all to hear from the word of God and by the spirit about families. I thank you God, you're working in families, you're working in marriages, you're working in the, the entire dynamic of family to strengthen uh, and to fortify our lives in this key area. And so, Lord, I thank you that you'll give the people this morning an, a listening heart, praise God, a, a mind that takes hold, and that, Father, they're listening not to just, you know, get to the end of the service and go on with their Mother's Day, but, Father God, they're listening to hear, to take hold, to make changes, because it's only as we're doers of the word that we receive your blessing. And so, Father, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, in Proverbs chapter number 24, I'd like to read verses 3 and 4. Notice what the wisdom writer said. He said, through wisdom, a house is built. Amen. And by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and present pleasant riches. What a wonderful verse. Amen. Let me read it to you from the Amplified translation of verse 3. The Amplified says, Through skillful and godly wisdom is a house, a life, a home, a family built. And by understanding, it is established on a sound and solid or good foundation. Amen. And so we see here that house, and when he's referring to a house here, he's not talking about a physical structure like the Amplified brings out from the Hebrew, amen. He's talking about you build a life, you build a home, you build a family, amen, with skillful and godly wisdom, with divine understanding, amen. You know the word to build carries with it the idea of forethought. You know the building that we're in now, there was a lot of forethought. There were many meetings there was a lot of scratch paper. Amber and I, we, we went places. We looked at church buildings. This we like, that we don't like. This we want to incorporate this. And then the architects and the engineers, they, they had to take it and they had to, you know, not just give us spaces that we wanted, but, you know, roof structures that actually stay up there and concrete and footers that don't go anywhere and, amen, plumbing that does the right thing and wires that go the right direction. Aren't you glad? And so the very word build, amen, carries with it this idea of forethought, planning, 
The word build carries with it the idea of intent. This building isn't the product of evolution. We intended to build this down, down to the last detail. Amen? And so there's intent implied with the word build. There's purpose behind the word build. What I'm trying to say here is that a great marriage and a wonderful family doesn't just happen. It, you know, eHarmony can do its best job, but it's not going to be able to produce. There's no algorithm that's going to guarantee that you're going to have a sweet marriage. Amen. You can be perfectly compatible. You know, amen? A, a marriage literally made in heaven and be miserable, fail utterly. Because God, He has given all of us the tools. But we have to, with forethought and planning and intention and divine purpose, get up every day and do what it takes. Amen? And so, thank God in the Word. Where do we get skillful and godly wisdom on how to build a great marriage? Not on YouTube. You can go to YouTube, find out how to organize your stuff. You can go to YouTube and find out how to put makeup on. You can go to YouTube, find out how to fix your weed eater. But unless the guy on YouTube is preaching from the Word, whatever wisdom, you know, there's, there's different kinds of wisdom. But the highest wisdom is God's wisdom. And God has laid it out for us in His Word. Where we can go and we can on purpose get skillful and godly wisdom and knowledge and understanding that we can apply to marriage, apply to family life. And thank God the result will be we can win. And that's what God wants. That's what God wants for all of us. Amen. And that is my prayer for you during this series. Is that as we're doing our part, I'm endeavoring to do my part to pray, to study, to hear from God. So that I could in our 45, 50 minutes that we have, be able to present to you skillful and godly wisdom. But my prayer is, is that you'll take it. Amen. You'll receive it. And husbands will apply it. Wives will apply it. Young people will apply it. Amen. So that you can get the fruit out of it. Amen. Well, I want us now to go back to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. And today, what I had in my heart is to talk to us today about covenant-minded marriage. That's the title of my message this morning is covenant-minded marriage. There are all kinds of different mindsets you can bring into a marriage or that you can have in daily interaction in your marriage. Amen. In your relationships. Now, again, if you're single, apply the principle to all your relationships. You know, as a pastor, I'm covenant-minded toward this church. Amen? You know, it hasn't happened. I don't expect it to happen. But if some other church somewhere needed a pastor, and they said, I'll pay you, we'll, we'll do, our church pay you three times. Three times what they're paying you at WAC. Just come. I'm not going to let that make my decision. Amen. That might make me pray about it. Don't tell me you wouldn't pray about it. Amen. But I am covenant. My, I'm not here for money. God has begun. Now, we're in our 20th year. And God has begun over the 20 years of plowing, plowing, plowing to really bless us. We've come up and we're grateful for it. And I pray we'll continue to come up. But I'm not here. I didn't come for the money. 
I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here for the money. And I'm not going to leave because of money. I'm here because of a covenant that God, I'm in covenant with God first. He told me to come here. And I'm going to be here if I preach to two snaggletooth women. That's, if that's what I preach to, that's what I'm going to preach to. Or if, the, if there's a thousand people here, it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to just preach. Amen. And whether the, the, and largely the church has, but whether people are covenant-minded toward me, that's on their side. I'm going to be covenant-minded toward my congregation, toward my staff, amen, toward my leaders. I'm covenant-minded covenant toward my spiritual parents. A lot of great ministers out there, but I'm not looking for a new or better open door. I'm not, looking, I'm not shopping for a more advantageous man of God or woman of God. God gave me spiritual parents, and I'm glad to have them. I'm covenant-minded. I'm covenant-minded toward my kids. You know, everything in my, ha in my life is, 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 you know, sub it's for sale. You know what I mean? God can accept my kids and my wife. Amen. Praise God. Everything that I have and possess, God can have it. He can take it. Amen. I'm covenant-minded toward my kids. Amen. They'll let me. I'm going to be there for them. All the days of my earthly life. Amen. Praise God. But you know, I'm covenant-minded toward my marriage. I'm not perfect in my marriage, but I am covenant-minded. This is what we want to talk about today, is to gain some footing and some fresh understanding that the highest mentality that you can bring to your mate is a covenant mentality. Dr. Dufresne, you know, he talked about uh, three types of marriages. And the first type, the lowest type of marriage, he would say, is the, the, the flesh relationship. That it's a couple, they're, they're in love with each other's flesh. Right? And then he said the second type is the, uh, the mental marriage. It's couples that are in love with each other's brains. <laughs> they're so smart, they're so this, they're so witty, they're so fun, whatever it is. Right? A mental marriage. But the highest type of marriage is a spirit-born marriage. Amen. Praise God. Where the plan of God is what reigns supreme. Amen. That's what sounds like the most lasting, sure, steadfast, protected, strongest marriage. The flesh marriage, the mental marriage, or the spirit-born, plan of God-based marriage. Amen. And uh, so praise God. So we're going to get into this, right? I wanted to read some scripture to us today uh, in, to help us from a biblical point of view be reminded or introduced for the first time, what is marriage? We're just going to take a moment. We need to understand what is marriage because our society is confused about it. Or they're not confused about it. They have wicked intention toward it. Marriage is a set thing. God made marriage. It is the first institution God ever authored is marriage. And so man cannot come along and alter its definition. Right? You can't just all you can't expand that. It's not subject to expansion or change. Next few moments, I'm going to just make a statement. And I'm not out to hurt anybody. 
I'm not out to, it's not spoken in meanness or spite, but in, in, in a loving endeavor to, uh, to expose our minds and our hearts to the truth. You know, the Bible said, Jesus said in John chapter 8, around verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I'll go ahead and make this statement. You know, there is no such thing as gay marriage. It's not a thing. Society wants to make it a thing. They've tried, they've legalized it as a term. They've tried to normalize it and had a lot of success in society. But in the mind of the one who matters, in the mind of the truth, in the eye of the truth, in the mind of the supreme judge of all human beings and of the universe, gay, homosexual, it does, it's not a thing. Marriage is one thing. It's one thing. Amen. And when you change it, it's not marriage anymore. All right. So I want to begin in Genesis 1. I may have said 2, but Genesis 1 and read two verses, 27 and 28. And then we'll get into the uh, second chapter. And so this is pre-fall. This is God's design. And so he says in verse 27, so God created man, mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male. Now notice this, God created what? He created mankind male and female. He created them. Then God, now I want you to notice this. God pointed this out to me a year or two ago while I was teaching at the Bible school on family. Notice it it does not say that God blessed him. Notice what, notice the first words pronounced over human beings is not a singular pronoun. And God blessed them. God is into them. Are you with me? You see, he didn't say God bless her. He didn't say God bless him. Man is, males are not the only one blessed by God. Amen. God blessed God, notice in this beginning, God has them in mind. Not him, not her, them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Notice that God is speaking to the first marriage And he's saying, I have blessed you. I have empowered you to prosper. I want you to be fruitful in your marriage. I want you to multiply. And as a couple, I want you to dominate. As a couple, I want you to exercise divine authority in the earth. And subdue it. The word subdue there should have been Adam and Eve's first clue that there's an enemy. If there isn't an enemy, then there's nothing to subdue. Come on. God did not allow Adam and Eve to be blindsided by the serpent. He told them right up front, subdue. But notice, this is to happen as a couple. Of course, if you're single, you have authority in Jesus' name. You don't don't get weird with me. But I'm just God's original perfect intent here. Look at what he said. And God said in verse 29, see, I have given you every... Okay, that's all I wanted to read over that. Amen. Now, get into Genesis 2. So to the second chapter, you may have turned the page, may not. And uh, praise God, look at verse number 18. 
And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him, New King James says, a helper. The, it's, uh, King James says, help meet. Amen. Uh, comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and uh, brought, him t- brought them to Adam to see what he would name them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper, found a helper comparable to him. The word compare, it'd be better said to the Hebrew, uh, one adaptable to or suitable for. Right? Amen. So as Adam, God brought all the animals, and the animals, the elephant came, male and female counterpart. The cow came, bull and cow. Right? The buck and the doe. But when Adam got to the end, he's standing there, and there is no suitable counterpart for him. Amen? You see, a wife is a God's uh, suitable counterpart. Amen. And helpmate for the husband. Praise God. And so in response, look at uh, verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Now, uh, praise God, unless God just did this in a real miraculous divine way, he had to cut Adam. The word, we're talking about covenant this morning. Let me go ahead and drop this on you. The word covenant in the Hebrew means to cut. To cut. Amen. Contracts are written. Covenants are cut. Okay, just put that in the hopper and let that marinate for a minute. All right. And so, praise God, he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, now, we're, we're asking, we brought you here to so, so we could see some things about God's original, how it all began. But now we're wanting to answer, what is marriage? He's about to tell us, right? And Adam said, verse 23, this is now bone, looking at the woman, this is now bone of my bones. That's literal, that was literally true for him, right? And flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, here's what marriage is. Therefore, a man, everyone say a man. It didn't say men. A man. Okay. Shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, not wives. A man, a woman. To be joined to his wife or cleaved and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. That is marriage. That is all marriage will ever be. It cannot be changed, altered, twisted, expanded. When you do that, it ceases to be. And it's not, uh, it's not out of meanness. You know... Uh, you know, the argument is, well, I love who I love. Well, you can love who you love, but that doesn't mean your life is in divine order. Doesn't mean you're right, doesn't mean that's good for you. One of the reasons why this definition of marriage must be protected and regarded 
And one of the greatest ways that you could protect marriage is to succeed at marriage. That's one of the greatest ways that you could honor marriage and succeed is to, is to succeed at it. Amen. And there are only two things in the earth that most fully and gloriously and accurately reflect God's glory, holiness, purity, and nature to the world. Those two entities are number one, the church. And number two, Christian marriage. God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. So all of the very essence of God was breathed into one man. And what God took out of Adam in that rib and made the woman was all of the attributes of all things female. Was taken out of Adam's original being and put into her. All of the attributes of femininity is part of the overall nature of, is God a nurturer? Come on, God is a nurturer. Everything that we, we love and wonder and celebrate about femininity, beauty, purity, holiness, craftiness, ingenuity, steadfastness, everything that is in the heart of a perfect female is, came out of the very creative heart of God. And God put it in her. She carries that part of God. But she doesn't carry any of the wonderful attributes of the male. And so in marriage, God has designed it to be one of two of the highest entities on the earth that will reflect so much of God's nature and His heart and who He is and His purity to the world. Amen. And it takes a godly male and a godly female in a committed covenant relationship to properly advertise through marriage who God is and what He's like. And we twist that in horrific ways when we join male to male. Because you don't have the femininity to reflect the heart of nature of God. And female to female does not, it, it, it diminishes the role of the male. You understand that? It's not about meanness. It's not about robbing people of joy. This will save your life. Amen. Anyway, praise God. So we, we destroy the reflection of God's glory to the earth out of our marriages when we twist it and mar it and make it something that God said it's not. And a man and a woman being hooked up apart from the covenant of marriage, that doesn't do it either. Because now you're, you're, what you're advertising is to the world is that we could be together but not committed. God is a committed God. God whatever God is into, He's committed. If you won't commit, your relationship doesn't reflect a key part of who God is. The fact that you share bills, a roof, and a bed does not make you what God wants to make you. Hallelujah. Now, before we leave the discussion of just the basic essence of what... Um, of what marriage is, let's read again verse number 24 and 25. And I want to point some things out to you. 
There are four, I see four basic bedrock pillar ingredients that must be present to constitute true marriage. All right? And we'll point them out to you as we go. Okay, so therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. Stop. That speaks of a change in priority. Marriage involves priority. When I got married to this lady, she becomes, at that moment, she became my highest priority in earthly relationships. All my life long, my highest priority had been to my mom and my dad. But for marriage to be what God wants it to be, you got to let mom and dad be around, got you know, have a great family, but your priority changes. She's my highest priority. You get married, all your single guy friends, I doubt you get to keep them. And if you keep them, the dynamic must change. Well, bless God, I've been playing poker for on Tuesday night. Well, you have a baby at home, you have a wife, and you just say goodbye to your little card game. Or your marriage is not going to work. It's not going to. You're going to. You're knocking down one of the key pillars of marriage, priority. The wife, her highest priority, other than her relationship with Jesus, is me, not the babies, mamas. They're a high priority. But if your husband becomes jealous, it's probably a godly jealousy. Okay. Do you see that? So, you know, in my notes here, when I, by, you know, praise God, a priority. That's a pillar in marriage. Don't let the enemy, over time, diminish the priority your spouse is supposed to be. Your job, your career. Come on, you got to, I know you got to work, What all those things. But you got to have your spouse in their proper place. Amen. So let's continue reading. He said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. That word joined there, you ought to do a Hebrew study on it or I'll teach it to you at some point. It's just such a powerful word. The word is cleave. And there are different ways that Hebrew commentators have used to describe this very dynamic word. One commentator said the word means to climb a mountain. And that, Marriage is work. Can be, right? But it's also trying to give you the picture of pursuit. You remember how hard you pursued in the dating, courting. Marriage is supposed to continue. But the essence, the true essence of that word cleave means to bond. Uh, it literally means glue or adhesive. Glue or adhesive. So the P word I'm going to use here is pursuit. There is to be this, I'm supposed to bond, I'm supposed to cleave to, I'm supposed to adhere to, hold fast to, climb a mountain, bring energy to my marriage. Marriage is about pursuit and bond and cleaving and no separation, you and me. So, so far we've got priority and pursuit. Priority and pursuit. And then it goes on and says, and they shall become one flesh. By there I put another P word, purity. 
purity. Your marriage is to be pure. In other words, we're one flesh. In other words, I don't share my flesh with anyone else. My marriage is pure. In my mental life, in my emotional life, with what my eyes do, my relationships, certainly with physical contact and touch, my marriage, marriage, Christian marriage, is to have and to demonstrate a holy purity. We are one flesh together. And that's the only way you can be pure in sexual expression. Every single sexual expression outside of this within the framework of a divine covenant is sinful. And if not lined up to, we'll invoke the judgment of God. I mean, there are diseases out there floating around. You have sex with the wrong person one time, that, there's a virus that will get up in a lady's uh, reproductive parts and kill her entire ability to have children. And God protects us from all of the, the judgments and the curses and the sin and the, all of that that's out there when we keep our marriage and our sexual expression in the framework of a holy covenant. Every single, whether it's visual, mental, fantasy, uh, different levels of physical contact is sinful. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Right? Thank God for the blood of Jesus that can wash that impurity away. Amen. And forgive us of our sins and at least spiritually restore us if we need to to a place of spiritual virginity. Amen? But marriage, Christian marriage, biblical marriage is very much about purity. All right. And then, praise God, it, the last phrase is, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. The P word I will put here is passion. Christian marriage includes passion. A wonderful passion. Amen? It's okay, praise God, to be passionate about your mate, about your spouse. Amen? So let's go over those. Christian, the four pillars of Christian marriage are priority, pursuit, purity, and passion within a covenant framework, one man, one woman. That's it. Well, you know, Pastor, we just got together because we just got a lot of bills. You, you're, you have no faith, number one. You're disobeying God, number two. You're invoking judgment on yourself, number three. Amen. What would I do, Pastor? Go home, throw his stuff out on the curb. And say, if you really love me, put a ring on my finger. I'm willing to make this work, but i got to do this God's way. You say you're a big man of faith. Use your faith to pay some bills on your own. But we're not sharing an address anymore without rings and a covenant. Amen. So, y'all all right? Okay. Marriage is to be the strongest and most fulfilling of all human relationships. It is the bedrock of every healthy society. No country, no society will survive the destruction of godly marriage. And our country is way down the wrong path on this. 
We need revival in our nation. Amen? Praise God. All right. So time's getting away. So I want to talk for the remaining minutes that I have about covenant. Marriage is a covenant. Now, here in modern times, we don't have a lot of biblical understanding about covenant mentality. Uh, but we have a lot of, uh, well, we're just kind of seeped in a contract mentality. To say that marriage is a contract is to cheapen it. And so, I know you didn't mean to, but I want to uh, compare and contrast for just a moment the difference between a contract and a covenant. Alright? Contracts focus on what we expect to get. And my interest in a contract is what am I going to get and where are the clauses of protection for me in case you don't give me what I'm supposed to get and where are my loopholes, if any, where I can get out of this? The, when you approach right, contracts, that's what you're interested in. I, I enter into many, many contracts as the leader of this church, primarily with contractors, right? And I, as I advocate for the church, I am there. I want to see on paper, what am I in this church going to get? What service are you going to provide? What materials am I to expect you to bring? What's the timeline that you're expected to do this in? I want to make sure you're responsible to make sure this gets installed according to state code. I'm going to make sure that it's on you if the inspector says this is not right. It's on you to change it, not me. And then I want to know what my outs are. See, a contract is selfish in nature. The contractor on the other side, he's going to do everything he can to advocate for a contract that's going to be supremely to his protection and his benefit. So it's a selfish negotiation going back and forth. That's not covenant. That's not a covenant. Covenants, by contrast, they focus on what we pledge to bring, to give. And it outlines the penalties that we accept and embrace for violating or breaking the covenant. All throughout the Old Testament, you'll see God and godly men say, so be it done unto me if I break this covenant. Not on them, but on me. Contract mentalities bind the other person, but in a covenant, I voluntarily bind myself. Amen? Are you with me on that? So here again, contracts have exits and endings. Covenants are never to be broken. The only thing I can find in the Bible that is to end or interrupt my covenant with her is one of our deaths. And that is all. Hallelujah. Okay. So contracts have exits and endings. Covenants are never to be broken. A covenant, what is it? It is a solemn and binding agreement. Covenants involve vows, pledges, 
promises to be performed and acknowledgement of the penalties on the one pledging for breaking. Entering into a covenant often involves witnesses, ceremony, symbolism, and sometimes even the shedding of blood. In marriage, uh, praise God, that's the highest of all human covenants. The highest of all human covenants is marriage. And the covenant of marriage involves all of what I just mentioned. There is to be ceremony, pledges, witnesses, symbolism, and the consummation of the union would involve blood. I'm not going to go down that trail with you. The covenant in a marriage has natural, physical, financial, mental, and emotional, and spiritual ramifications and consequences with it. And the marriage covenant, knowing this, should never be entered into on a whim, apart from counsel, much prayer, thoughtfulness, and deep respect for the sanctity of the covenant that you're about to make. Because even if, if uh, you're married today and you can't say that heaven put your marriage together, it's the will of God now that you're married for you to stay married. And God will turn lemons into lemonade. Hallelujah. Now God's highest and best, I believe this, God's highest and best is that we could see God's hand in the formation of the marriage. Now the most intense example of that is Adam and Eve. Really, Adam didn't, you know, he, he, had, he didn't get to choose, right? God chose for him. You know, God chose for me. I'm, you know, I'm not bragging or nothing, but I, I, I'm grateful that in our testimony, we can both rehearse and, and testify of the hand of God working us together. Amen? But again, uh, praise God, no matter the, uh, the circumstance that brought you to the marriage covenant, stay in it. That's God's will. Y'all okay? I saw a yawn. I saw someone bobbing their head. Oh, am I doing okay? Amen. I know this kind of series, you may, you know, we're not having a Holy Ghost party, you know, running around, but this will help you. Amen. Praise God. And so anyway, uh, let me fast forward here because I, I see the end. Let's go to one more passage here into Malachi chapter 2. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. So go right to the middle of your Bible and turn left there or whatever. You'll find it, Malachi chapter 2. We're talking here and we're about to close, but we're talking about marriage is a covenant, not a contract. And this covenant has spiritual implications. You know, you know, if you think about it, marriage is the formation of future destinies. Generations come forth out of marriages. God chose Abraham, and there's Isaac and Jacob. And through Jacob's, well in his case, two marriages, were brought forth twelve sons. And out of the twelve sons was born the twelve tribes of Israel that gave birth to the nation of Israel, which gave birth to our Messiah. I'm telling you, family is a big deal with God. 
And for time's sake, I'm going to just read this from a different translation instead of doing it twice. Malachi 2, 13 through 16 in the message translation. And this is this is pretty powerful, so hold on, okay? And so it says in verse 13, Malachi 2, 13, and here is a second offense. God is rebuking his people all through Malachi and challenging them to change. And so God says, here's a second thing you do wrong. You fill the place of worship with your whining and sniveling or sniveling because you don't get what you want from God. See, things aren't going well for them. Do you know why God says? Simple. Because God was there as a witness when your marriage when you spoke your marriage vows to your young bride. Now, I don't care if you were on the courthouse steps. I don't care if you were on the strip in Vegas. When you got married, who was there? God was there. God was a personal witness to the cutting of your covenant. So he said, things aren't working out for you because God was there as a witness when you spoke your marriage vows to your young bride and now you've broken those vows. Why weren't, these are people, God was saying, they're in the house of God and they're whining and complaining because their prayers aren't being answered. They are not being blessed in life and God says, here's why. You are unfaithful to your marriage covenant. Now you've broken those vows. You've broken the faith bond with your vowed companion, your covenant wife. Now this goes both ways. You could just say, you could as easily say your covenant husband. Verse 15, God, not you, made marriage. God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits, look at this, even the smallest details of marriage. Wow. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. And what does he want from marriage? Children of God, that's what. So guard the spirit of your marriage within you. Don't cheat on your spouse. God says, I hate divorce, says the God of Israel. God of the angel armies, I hate the violent dismembering of the one flesh of marriage. God says, I hate the breaking up of a holy, divine, spiritual covenant. He didn't say he hates people. He says he hates that breaking up of that one flesh marriage. So he says, so watch yourselves. Don't let your guard down. Don't cheat. Amen? God takes our covenant vow to our mate far more serious than we often like to think about. Quoting to you Numbers 31 through 2, you could just write the reference down. The Bible says that Moses spoke unto the heads of the tribes of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. You know, I'm going to jump in this marriage. I think I like this kid. And we'll just see how it works out. Oh, no. Oh, no. I told the students in California, if you don't know, don't say I do. Because you say I do, you're in it for your life. If you walk away from it, there will be a penalty. Because God's a covenant keeper, not a covenant breaker. And you're not acting like God. Now, I understand that there are some situations that are so 
egregious and abusing and, and all of that, that there's no other option. But if that's not you, you better stay in it. For your own sake. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord and swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Ecclesiastes 5, 4 through 6 says, When you make a promise to God, don't be slow to keep it. Because God doesn't like fools. Keep your promise. It is better not to make a promise than to make one and not keep it. Amen. It goes on and says, Do not let your mouth talk you into committing a sin. Don't walk around your house by yourself saying, you know what, I just don't think I can take anymore. You know, I just sure think life's be, I could just go back and be single, be able to do what I want, go where I want, not be accountable to anyone. She spends all my money anyway. Don't let your, he's saying don't let your mouth talk you into a sin. And then he says, do not say in the presence of a pastor, I'm going to interpret that way, it says a temple messenger, my promise was a mistake. He's saying, don't let yourself say to a man of God, I made a mistake when I got married. It's too late. Don't say it. There's no fruit in saying it. Why? And it goes on. It tells you why. Why should God become angry at your excuse and destroy what you've accomplished? You know, so in closing here, again, I endeavor to be covenant-minded in all my, all my relationships. In my business dealings, in my interactions with the community, my relationship to the church, in everything I do, I apply, I do my best to apply a covenant mentality. What did I say I would do? And if it's inconvenient, I don't feel like it, or even hurts me, I'm going to keep my covenant. Adopt, friends, a covenant mindset toward your marriage or your future marriage. Amen. 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 Have a holy fear about entering into that covenant. Amen. Some people are experiencing the aftermath of tremendously unwise decisions that they made. And they call me their pastor. They've called me their pastor in times gone by. And they walk in with someone I've never seen. And they say, we're married, meet my husband. They didn't have any honor in that moment or regard to involve me in any way. Get any counsel. They just went to the courthouse or wherever and they got it done. And that they just have invited hell into their lives. And thank God there is mercy for every situation. Thank God for that. But I would spare you. God wants this to be the most fulfilling, secure, pure, passionate, wonderful relationship you ever have with another human being. To have that, though, you have to do it God's way. And in your marriage covenant, start doing it God's way. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray, and you know, we're about to enter into a crusade mode. Wednesday night, if you want to come, I want you to come to Wednesday night church, but it's a prayer meeting. We're going to pray for the crusade. And then Sunday morning... We're just going to have church Sunday morning. The crusade starts Sunday night, but you're going to be here Sunday morning. You're going to, there's Pastor Nancy. She's, she's going to be, so I'm not sure what the Lord will have me preach on Sunday to kind of help us. I don't want to 
jump on her subject, which is miracles, but uh, whatever the Lord will have me do, I'll do. But I want you to know, one of the next messages I'm going to purpose to minister is the teaching that I have, who should I marry? Who should I marry? And uh, so I always love teaching that, and it's, uh, it's very good. And so if you have young adults, amen, don't miss that one. Parents, get your kiddos in here. Pastor's here to help you. Amen. And then pretty soon my wife's going to get up here and uh, share her heart because we need pastor's voice in this as well. So, amen. Let's all stand up on our feet today.